Welcome back to the 12-Sided Guys. We have Matt playing Pine. Hi. Scott playing Roos. That's me. Jordan playing Ebby. Salutations. Sabrina, sorry, <laughs> that was the longest salutations I've heard so far. Okay. Sabrina playing Nari. Hey there. And everybody plays the fool sometimes. And now, <laughs> and now I'm going to apologize for that last joke. I'm very, very sorry. Uh, I got a quick announcement. We recently did a Patreon-exclusive Q&A about the campaign so far. So if anyone wants to hear that, head over to patreon.com slash 12-sidedguys. That's one, two-sided guys. And become a patron. You may have missed the cutoff for questions this time, but keep sending questions our way. We'll probably do more Q&A episodes on Patreon in the future. One thing first. Don't bother asking if Nari's natural 20 death save is real or not. I'll answer that right now. Oh, it's real. And it's spectacular. So real. Anybody? (laughs) (laughs) Have we switched to all Seinfeld jokes now? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Anyway, it was the most badass roll in the campaign so far. And if you've ever rolled around the world map thanks to an armadillo named Rand, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 21. preferred to hop thanks to a giant frog named Jean. <laughs> Was that number three? That's number two. They're both number two. Oh. Rand would roll and you wouldn't get you wouldn't get attacked while he was rolling, and Jean would hop and swim, but you could get attacked while you were hopping. Yeah, but if Rand ran into something and stopped, then you get attacked. Pretty much every time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here we go. The storm rages as the crate descends on long, taut chains. Heavy as it is, the crate rocks in the strong winds as it lowers down toward the waiting wagon. Acolyte Grimm steadies himself atop the crate as one hand grasps the chain and the other directs the winch team above in the belly of the airship known as the Angel's Might. Slowly, carefully, the crate lowers as the airship captain does her best to keep her wooden behemoth as still as possible. Grimm eventually feels the soft thump as the crate rests in the bed of the two-axled wagon as a team of four horses paw nervously at the cobbles of Tabery's gallows square. Quickly, expertly, Grimm disconnects the cradle from the rest of the chain, which almost immediately is reeled back into the winch. The angel's might, no longer needing to stay so dangerously close to the ground in such bad weather, rises higher into the air, its gray balloons blending into the clouds and its numerous copters thrumming the air. Grimm hops down off the wagon next to the waiting imperial soldier, Report, if you would be so kind, he says to the soldier. Then looking up, he asks, but perhaps somewhere dry first. Of course, Acolyte, the soldier responds. Then turning to the driver of the wagon, he barks out, to the keep and out of this blasted rain. Twenty minutes later, in the keep's stables, Grimm sits in the back of the wagon next to the crate, fiddling with a large, two-foot-long crystal with cables snaking deeper into the crate as he half-heartedly listens to a report from a different soldier this one looking half-dead and soaked to the bone. Attacked on the road, not three hours west of the ferry. The priest is dead for sure, Acolyte, as are her three bodyguards. I only just escaped with my life in order to bring this information back to you, as the priest commanded with her last breath, Come now, don't take me for a fool, Acolyte Grimm says, cutting the soldier off. I'm not your commander, I won't court-martial you for retreating. But tell me, he says, 
staring over the rim of his spectacles at the soaking wet soldier. How long did you hide in fear of the adjudicator's murderers before gathering the courage to take your tail from between your legs and bring us this intelligence? The rain-soaked soldier stammers for a few seconds, then, looking down at his feet, sheepishly replies, Four, five hours tops. Well, Grim replies, turning his attention back to the strange crystal tech that is connected to whatever is tucked into the massive crate, I can't blame you for that. I can only imagine how harrowing that must have been for you. And, in all honesty, had you not hid, there is a very real chance you'd have been killed as well. And then we wouldn't have this intelligence while it's still fresh and actionable. Now let's see, he trails off as he finishes tucking the crystal back into the crate. Then he stands up and brushes his hands off on his long, white coat and climbs down out of the wagon. Get me a map, if you please. Five minutes later, Grim is staring down at a map spread across the floor in Tabery's stables as three soldiers look over his shoulder. So let me get this straight, begins Grim. Chancellor Ramsay took a number of soldiers and most of the deacons into the mountains above Tabory to hunt down Fallen Heaven, based on intelligence gathered of a secret hideout somewhere on the mountain. Then, the same day, a prisoner about to be hanged for treason is released by four people during a riot that also ends up claiming the life of an adjudicator. The Imperial priest took charge of the search and attempts were made to notify the Chancellor of what had happened, but all reports from the mountain are that Ramsay went to explore a cave and never came out and is now missing. Meanwhile, the soldiers on the mountain begin chasing a trail left by Fallen Heaven that went cold. Now here, west of Tabory, he says, pointing to a different place on the map, a message comes in from the mayor of Tabory claiming the adjudicator's murderers absconded with her riverboat, but that there is a known place in the river where our soldiers can make contact and apprehend them. But you're telling me, Grimm states, motioning to the now slightly drier soldier, that the murderers have made it past our patrols and have killed our sister of the angel? He thinks for a minute, then as if talking to himself, he says, They're running, but which way? South along the road? No, no, too open. They'll stay off the road altogether. Then where? He thinks for a minute, examining the map, muttering over and over. Where are you? Where are you? His finger stabs down onto the map. Here! Gather whatever forces are left us in the city. We leave in one hour. He walks back over to the crate and touches it almost lovingly. Don't worry, Bishop. I'll wake you up very, very soon. Wait, wait, where do you point on the map? Please tell me it was farther west. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so here is where we are. Um, the Nari and the boys are at this abandoned, uh, decrepit old settlement uh, with wooden buildings, all roofs fallen in, bushes growing up in the middle of trees, um, getting ready to meet with fallen heaven. <laughs> wait, wait, bushes are growing up in the middle of trees? <laughs> Dogs and cats living together. <laughs> oh my gosh. So here's where we're at. Nari and the boys have finally made it to the north shore of Westville Lake. They're at this old abandoned settlement with decrepit buildings made out of wood. There's bushes growing up in the middle of these buildings. Uh, roofs have fallen in. They've managed to find some places to kind of take cover and hide. They've even managed to find a rowboat that still floats and a couple of oars. Waiting for Fallen Heaven to come and take the prisoner, Ramsey, away from them. And the last thing that happened uh, in our last session was um, Kira... Brinby, Hebo, and Delon, the four named Fallen Heaven characters that we met earlier in the campaign, arrive, not sprinting or running, but definitely hustling down here towards the settlement. And the last thing that we saw was Kira walked up to uh, her brother, Roos, and said, I'm glad to see that you survived. And that's where we're at now.
Yeah, it was quite an adventure getting from the caverns in your old hideout to here, but we are still alive. I'm, I'm very glad to hear it. Roos, I know we haven't been close for, well, really ever, but the other day when you, when you called me, it was, it was good to hear your voice. Yeah, it was, it was good to hear yours too. I, uh, I got Ramsey over here. Oh, you can see her like kind of like rubber hands together. Um, like almost uh, you could see the excitement uh, in her. her. Her shoulders kind of hunch up and she gets a smile that creeps across her face. And she says, yes, yes. Show me. Show me the prize. What are you, what are you planning on doing with him? I I will present him to my leader. Oh, I, I, I thought these fallen heaven cells were disorganized. I didn't know you guys had a central um, person or persons running the whole thing. Yes. Well, there is a, there is a, a central leadership. Uh, we, we act independently, uh, but I, I am in contact with the higher ups in fallen heaven. He, Ramsey knows one thing that I'm worried about getting out. What's, what's that? Well, it's the, it's what I asked you about when I called earlier. About Aunt Bree? <laughs> well, yeah, Aunt Bree is also my mother. Wait, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I guess I have to ask you, were you there when I was born? Do you remember me being born? Do you remember mother being pregnant with me? Um, I, she thinks back. She's like, I don't know. I'm, I was five or six. I don't, I don't remember much from that time. I remember, I remember playing in the streets. I remember dad carrying me on his shoulders. I remember you tagging along behind me, you know, um, getting in the way. But, uh, I mean, no, no, I don't remember. No, I I was too young. I don't remember. Hmm mom giving birth i i mean i i guess i had a near-death experience recently and and a memory came to me of an argument between mom and dad where they were debating me and dad was wondering when brie was going to come back and get her son i'm the heir i'm the bastard of simon the the bastard of Simon. She starts racking her brain, like scratching her head. S- oh, you mean Simon the? Let's see, Simon the King's uncle's son, I think, something like that. Thirty second in line, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, first now apparently. So you you think you're the heir? I'm fairly positive it's me. I haven't brought it up with mom yet. I I don't know what she would say, but I'm I'm pretty positive that that that's the case. She kind of sits down hard next to you. And she's not looking at you. You can tell that she's kind of lost in th- not lost in thought. She's just really thinking hard. You can you can see the wheels turning and her trying to figure out what does this mean? What does this mean? 
And she says, well, if you are the heir, now I'm not saying that you are the heir, but if you are the last in line to the royal family of Everlyn, what will you do? <laughs> what will I do? Yes. <sighs> will, you, will you help us? Will you, will you be that symbol that I talked about? Will you be the symbol of what used to be, of what could be again, of a world that the empire is not a part of? All I have for evidence is a rumor. I can't very well come to the people and say, hey, you should follow me, this random guy, without any sort of evidence that, that this story is true. Well, well, but now, now that we know, I mean, if you're the, the heir, now that we know who to look for and what to look for, maybe there's more pieces that we didn't know existed. Maybe there's some connection between Aunt Bree and Simon. Maybe we can find that evidence. I, you're welcome to go poking around, but I, being the heir, there is a huge target on my back. The Empire wants me. I was hired to capture myself. I need to go into hiding. I can't be openly fighting the Empire. If they find me, they will kill me. And Ramsey, and Bruce points over to, to Applebottom, says, and Ramsey knows it already. He knows who I am. Well, I don't, I don't know what to say. You, you give me this great gift, and she motions to Applebottom. And you give me this great gift, and then you tell me that what I've been searching for, for two months up in the mountains, you're right here. And it's like, I know this is not your fault, Roos, but it's like there's another gift and you take it away from me. <laughs> what do you expect me to do? There's not a people to back me up. There's not forces. I don't have a kingdom. I don't have a people. I'm just a random kid from the Muds and Tabory. Yes, a random kid from the Muds and Tabory. Wasn't it you who told me that Tabory rose up? And they rose up for a constable. They rose up for a man about to be hanged. If you're the heir, how many more would rise up? And not just Tabory. Don't you see the possibilities? And then she kind of shakes her head. She says, no, no, I, I, guess, I guess you don't. I guess you, you never have. She goes, Roos, I'm not trying to be rude. I, I, I understand this is a lot. And I, I guess I expected to find a, a child an infant or a, or a teenager at most, someone that, someone that we could help lead. But, but Roos, you, you don't take a lead very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I could say the same about you. Yeah, that's, that's true. Maybe we are related. <laughs> yeah. I hate to let you down again. But I don't want that to be the motivation for me to make a life-altering choice. Why don't you start saying that you have the air and maybe one day I'll come around? I, I can see some value in that. I will, I'll, I'll speak with my superior and uh, I will, um, 
I'll let him know that we, we have located the heir. In the meantime, though, I'm, I'm going into hiding. I'm going to stay with, with Mr. Pine and, and Nari and, and Abby for a time. I, I, I just don't, I don't know what to do, but I'm, I'm going to change my name during this time. So I'm, I'm not going to be Roos anymore. Okay. Well, what, have you decided on a name yet? <laughs> what should I call you? Your Majesty? <laughs> <laughs> please, <laughs> please don't. I guess from my perspective, I think Lady Jaffa has had a hand in in these turns of events in my life. And I think I kind of want to take her name and uh, I'm going to go by Joff from now on. Joff. This will also hopefully put my pursuers on a different trail. That is, if the Empire does continue to pursue me and Howling Talon, if they eventually try and find me, I'll be going by a different name. That That's probably wise. Yeah, I guess, Roos, you have, you have a couple targets on your back, being the heir as well as the kidnapper of the Chancellor of the Empire, <laughs> as well as yeah. the murderer of an adjudicator. Whoa, murder! Self-defense. Self-defense. <laughs> Pine's like sitting in the, like looking around the corner and you say, hey, now I resent that remark. <laughs> you kind of pop out. Actually, Pine is, Pine is in the process of talking with Brinby and he's like, and then I burned my coat, but then I fixed it. And <laughs> <laughs> You're telling a story like my grandpa does where he's like, and then we woke up and it was raining and then we had lunch. No, no, yeah. remind me, what was the name of that herb we put in the omelet? <laughs> oh gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> All right. Well, Nari or, uh, Kira says, well, let's, Roos, I, I love you. I... I can't even begin to express how grateful I am for what you four have done in bringing us this gift. And I'm sorry if I seem ungrateful that I didn't get what I thought I wanted, but this is more than enough. So I thank you. Yeah. I hope that maybe we can mend things from here on out. I would like that. All right, as you guys are talking, um, whoever is not uh, in that conversation, I, I hear Pine is talking with Brinby. So, um, yeah, so how does that conversation go? Brinby comes over and gives you a big clap on the shoulder and he says, Ah, uh, Lieutenant General, it's so good to see that you're still still alive, still still kicking. I, it's good to see you in, in fighting form again. Oh, yes, kicking, kicking in teeth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There, so much has transpired since the last time we saw each other. I, I burned my coat. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, <laughs> you guys start catching up. No, I mean, honestly. So, so I would, I would just uh, at this point, I would say. So, Brinby, I know we've talked a lot about finding the air, but I was wondering, have you heard of the prophecy, the source of the rumors? Uh, he's going to be very honest with you. He says, "All I know, I heard from Kira." Kira heard the rumors and she she informed me. So I don't know the source. 
information is key here. And then I want, I want you to, to, to kind of know where that came from. And so I want to share the prophecy with Brinby so that the prophecy now will at least be known by fallen heaven instead of just as a rumor. Okay. The Very full cool. prophecy. Right. Um, he actually then will stop and actually um, pull out a paper and, and uh, start writing it down. Okay. Perfect. All right. Um, Nari, um, Dylan comes over to you and uh, the tall, um, blonde-haired, kind of elf-looking woman. Uh, she comes over to you with her, with her different tattoos, her um, soft paw clan tattoos. And she comes over to you and says, Stormfist, it's good to see that you survived. You as well. Have you heard anything more from home? Uh, no, I I have not heard anything more from home. I I think after this, I I think I'm going to head back for the winter. I think I think my clan needs me. At this point, she looks around and kind of motions to like uh, Ramsey and Kira and Brinby and Hebo. And at this point, I think I think it's pretty much under control. Uh, I don't think I'll be missed for the next few months. Well, I'm sure your family will be grateful to have you back. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they will. Have you noticed any strange happenings or anything kind of pulling you towards, towards the mountains recently? Uh, she thinks about it and she's like, um, nothing more than just my normal uh, homesickness. I mean, I miss, I miss the wind coming down off the mountain. I miss the trees blowing. I miss the leaves gathered up against the... Uh, against the rocks. You know, I, I, I miss the tall pines. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's normal. Yeah, no, I, I suppose I just feel like the last month or so, there's just been a, a stronger pull towards home than normal. And I don't know if I've ever really missed the mountains that much before, but I'm yearning to go back. She puts her hand on your shoulder and she says, the mountains are in you. Just like they're in me. Nice. <laughs> Fist bumper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you guys kind of carry on, have a little, uh, a little uh, mountain talk. You know, you guys kind of talk about, um, you know, uh, whatever it is that you guys talk about. Like, um, take me home. Yeah. You guys, <laughs> you guys start singing some old, <laughs> some old mountain songs together. Get out your banjo and oh wrong mountains anyway um not the appalachians okay um and then um hebo comes wandering over to um to the bound and gagged ramsey is anybody over there with ramsey uh no i'm kind of hovering around by pine i am trying to kind of keep an eye out and around but i'm more looking around to see if there's any other groups coming down the road or or just you know approaching us right so you're kind of looking back up north towards the forest, towards the following the path and everything. Yeah, that was kind of my thought. Perfect. I thought that uh, that Roos had shown um, Kira Ramsey. I thought that they were in the same place. Are they not in the same place? Roos can see Ramsey from where he's standing. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. But he's not like directly next to Ramsey. Right. So as as Roos and Kira are finishing up their their conversation, Hebo is over there looking at Ramsey. He actually pulls the the hood back. Gets a good look, and then um, he actually like flicks Ramsey right in the right between the eyes with his middle. Like he kind of 
what's that where you take your middle finger and your thumb and you flick it and he flicks him right between the eyes and pulls the, the mask back down and he calls out yeah it's him <laughs> all right so then kira and uh Roos go over and start examining Roos. uh ebby i want you to make perception check sure thing i rolled a 15 okay um ebby you're kind of watching north looking at the trees let the path and everything um you don't notice anything right away um but uh as you are kind of looking around you you look behind you back onto the the lake and you you see in the distance on the lake i mean we're talking like pretty much the other end of the lake a very small speck on the lake uh, a little dark speck Interesting. I'm going to move to the shoreline and just kind of keep my eyes open and see if I can get any kind of a better view. Okay, perfect. All right. So uh, Nari and Delon are talking. Um, Roos and Kira are talking. Hebo is kind of checking the, the bonds of Chancellor Ramsey. Brinby and, and uh, Pine are talking. Anything anybody wants to talk about specifically, or are we moving forward? Pine, um, something else that Pine will kind of be bringing up with Brinby would be like, um, you know, I think he would take him in to show him, um, to show him uh, Apple Bottom. We've been calling him Apple Bottom because of his bodacious booty. <laughs> Those are some very nice pants. Yes. Yeah, they're my pants. I'm hoping to get them back before we give them to you guys. Can I, can I just pause for a second? Uh, when Roos said that he wanted to take the pants back, I had this image of, of Applebottom only wearing a shirt with no pants, kind of like <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. Yes, <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> I was me actually too. just thinking, he's been tied up this whole time. Do you really want those pants back? <laughs> oh, golly. Nobody's been helping him. <laughs> Pine will be saying to Brinby, well, now that you have... Apple bottom. You know, we'll be going our separate ways, but rest assured that we are going to be following up on important things on our end. We found something. We're not quite sure what it is yet, but we're going to continue to investigate and see what it can do for the war effort. What, what is it that you found? We found a key of some sort. Applebottom was very interested in it, but we're going to follow up on it, and, and we'll let you know if it's, if it's significant for, for your purposes. Why, why, don't, why don't you join us? Why don't you come with us? We can, we can share resources. We could work together again. I would, I would even shine your boots. Just <laughs> to, I would do that again for you. I know you would. I know you would. I wouldn't ask it of you, though. We're in a different, we're different places now, and my experience was so different than yours. I can't imagine the horrors, that, the horrors. <laughs> I can't imagine those two. <laughs> yeah, there were horrors too. <laughs> I can't imagine the horrors that you, that you lived through um, as a prisoner, and I'm on a different path. I have different methods. I understand you're doing what needs to be done, and I... And I agree with the sentiment, and and I agree with the end goal. But unfortunately, I think in many cases our methods are not quite aligned. That's not to say we can't share information, but I think my path takes me somewhere else. I I think I understand. It saddens me. I was hoping to 
fight side by side with you again. I mean, there's a speck on the lake. Maybe we will right now. <laughs> Let's not take that off the table. <laughs> I have a lot of life left in me. And like I said, I don't imagine that I'll be ending ties with Fallen Heaven. I just, Tiny, I'm an officer. I, I led men. I followed the rules of engagement. And, um... I'm not criticizing your approach. You're doing what needs to be done based on your experience and, 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 and some of the results you're getting are very valuable. We wouldn't have given you apple bottom if we didn't think so. My methods are just... My path is different. My path is different. I understand. It's, it's easier to wash your hands of the blood when... Somebody else was giving you the orders, but me, and he looks down at his hands and he says, sometimes I fear I'll never be clean. I understand that as well. He kind of stops talking. Ebby, huh. you are watching that spec. Um, why don't you make a, an investigation check? Sure. I am not very good at investigation, but we'll give it a shot. I rolled a five. A five. It seems like it's getting bigger, but it still just looks like a basically a dark square. Like, you know, it's, it started out as one pixel and now it's like a two by two pixel. Just a dark square on the on the kind of on the lake. I'm going to yell to the others and just give them a heads up and say, there's something far out over the lake. It seems to be possibly coming this way. Everyone be on your guard. Kira comes over and looks, and so does uh, so does Hebo. And uh, Hebo puts his hands up to his eyes, and he says, "Well, that might be our ride." Yeah, I mean, it's it's coming from the south. It's on the lake. Yeah, that that could be our ship. What exactly are we looking for? What what, what is your ride? Uh, Kira uh, mentioned she's she turns to you, Pine, and she says, "We have a ship coming to pick us up." He's a, an interesting man, but uh, he's trustworthy as long as we pay him enough. <laughs> Speaking of pay, I mean, if, if you guys won't be joining us in Fallen Heaven, I guess, I guess I owe you for this gift you've given us. And she, she kind of reaches into her, her like satchel and pulls out um, like a, a big sack. And she starts kind of messing around in the, in, in the sack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she pulls out a handful of coins and shoves them back into her satchel. And then she tosses this sack over to, to uh, Pine. She tosses it over to you. Thank you. This is very appreciated. But, um, but I... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to look inside or anything? Or No, no. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. That's right. You, you, <laughs> you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> it's not much, but, but um, through our travels, I was able to collect maybe a, a, a few trifles that might help in your effort as well. And I'll produce the great sword that I that took off one of the soldiers. And then I'll also take off the longbow and the arrows that I collected. And I'd say, maybe these could help keep you safe um, until you get where you're going. Russell also take off his his uh, imperial jacket and hand it over, and give the mace that he took. Okay. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, Hebo is right there to take the weapons. Like, he is right there. He's like, oh, that's, yeah, that nice. Uh, a great sword. Oh. He's, and he looks at the bow and he's like, who's Hop? And then he's like, oh, whatever. And he puts the uh, the bow, um, like straps it across his back. Uh, and then he looks at the mace. We'll never know what happened to him. <laughs> Hop woke up in the woods naked because uh, he got dragged so long that his pants came off and stuff. And he's just like, what's going on? <laughs> All right, he's still he's still stumbling around there to this day. I don't come on, he's got to get home to his girl. <laughs> yeah, we need flashes over to Hop occasionally. We just got to check it check in. We on We haven't him. even had a flash over to Bert yet. We can't have a flash to Hop first. I was actually I was actually <laughs> thinking, how funny would it be if Pine had died if I came back as Hop looking for my bow? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, that would have been awesome. Oh man, actually, you should cut that out because I actually. Might, might actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know you can't cut that out. All right. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so he both starts looking at this mace and he's like, oh, and he starts kind of swinging it around. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. And he hands it over to Kira and she kind of looks at it and she's like, yes, that will, that will be very nice. And she hands it back to, to Hebo and he uh, hangs it from his belt. Um, I need everyone to make perception checks. Pine rolled an 18. Nari rolled a 19. Roos got a 15. Ebby rolled a 7. All right. Um, as you guys are kind of talking and going over this stuff and having kind of a, a lighthearted reunion and just kind of discussing some things, um, Ebby, you're kind of still standing on the shore looking out at this approaching ship and um nari and pine as you guys are are just kind of hanging back kind of watching as you guys are are watching fallen heaven going through these treasures that you've given them suddenly you both hear a very distinct crack and creak um the crack sounds like you know how sometimes wood will crack not break but it'll just kind of like make that popping cracking sound um and then you hear like a creak of some kind of a like metal creaking and it's coming from behind you back up that path towards the forest um as you guys uh you turn around to look and what you see is you see this wagon being pulled by four horses and to either side you see um like a row of 10 imperial soldiers on one side and you see like six deacons on the other side um but in the wagon you see there is this man he's kind of a little past middle age he's got like kind of a his hair is receded back to to the point where it's like you know halfway up his head um he's got white hair on the sides he's got like um what looks like basically um steampunk goggles like on his on his forehead he's wearing like this long white jacket and he is standing next to this crate in the back of the wagon and you guys can't hear what he's saying but he is pointing at you guys because some of you are out in the open based on his description i imagine he's saying something like marty <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> great scott <laughs> So as he points, Kira looks up and she says, quickly to arms. Uh, and then uh, Hebo and Dellen and Brinby, they grab up their weapons and uh, uh, they see what's going on. As Kira looks up and she sees all these all these Imperial soldiers 
um, she turns to you guys and she says, we have to, we have to fight them off until our ship gets here. We have, we cannot lose Ramsey. He is the prize that we need. She, uh, she looks at Hebo and she says, you, me, we'll take the left. And she points to Brinby and Del and she says, you guys take the right. And then she looks at you, Nari and the boys. She says, can you guys take the center? That's right. Hell yes. You got it. Yeah. Kira and Hebo start heading off to the left to go and confront the 10 soldiers on that side, while Delon and Brinby head off to the right to confront the six deacons on the other side. As this man in the back of the wagon stands up, grabs the top of the crate and throws it off, reaches in, pulls out this two foot long crystal, and you don't know what he does to it, but instantly the crystal starts to glow. And suddenly, standing up out of the box, you see a construct. You see a figure similar in style to Ebby, but bigger. Where Ebby stands, what, seven feet tall? Six and a half feet tall? About, yeah, six foot six four. Foot four. This one is not as tall as the construct that you saw deep underground in that ancient facility. But this one still stands about ten feet tall. Uh, it is where Ebby is kind of um, plain, I guess would be the right would be the 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 word I would use. He's a little dumpy, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> where Ebby is a little bit dumpy, this one has uh, rivets and armor plates and all these other kind of uh, accents bolted onto him, similar to the deacons, but even more so. Um, you see that he's got, his arms are longer as well. Like as he stands up, his hands are almost touching the ground. Uh, his legs look kind of short, almost gorilla-ish, but but still humanoid shaped. It's more like anime looking people, how they always have like the lo- like the big guy always has like the really long arms that go down to his knees, you know, that kind of look. This thing stands up in the back of the wagon and then it jumps down off the back of the wagon as this man in the white coat steps down next to it. And we are going to roll initiative. <laughs> I, initiative I rolled initiative for these guys. Uh, yeah. Nari rolled a 17. Roos got a 10. Pine got a 13. Ebby rolled an 11. All right. Um, we have got a, the, uh, the big guy ends up getting a 2. And the older man ends up getting a one. You guys are going to get a whole round of moves before these guys even get to do anything. Golly. Here we go. So just to kind of describe what's going on, you guys are kind of in different places all around the map. Um, It looks like uh, um, Roos is kind of in one of the buildings next to Crumbles and Applebottom. Nari and Pine are standing together kind of out in the open, and Ebby is still way back by the shoreline. So you guys are not in any kind of defensive positioning at all, um, but the ball bearings are in a like a 10 foot 10 square uh, or 10 by 10 square that is kind of on the path that if they come down the path towards the building that you guys are in, uh, they'll walk right over those ball bearings. And that would be difficult terrain. Um, and actually, I think it's DC 10 and they fall down. Oh, okay. Awesome. Or, or not. Um, very good. I think, yeah, if they, can, if they move half speed, I think they, they can avoid the, the potential falling. But if they move full speed through it, they can fall. Okay. 
Well, very good. That's good to know. All right. We'll see if they even get a turn because their initiative is so terrible. All right. That brings us to Nari. Nari, you are first to go. They're north of us. They're coming down from the north, right? Yes, they're coming down from the north. And we're about at this point, what, like 40 feet away? Yeah, I would say that you guys are about 40 or 50 feet away from them. Okay, um, and like, would I be able to maneuver around the ball since I know where they are? Um, or would I have to worry about that as well? Uh, you can go around them. Yeah, you, you know where they are. Because I think, uh, well, okay. So I will actually just throw my hand axe at these guys. Okay. Um, barely in range. So who are you throwing it at? Are you throwing it at the big construct or are you throwing it at the guy in the white jacket? I'm going to throw it at the smaller guy. Okay. Um, and so that is a 10 to hit. That misses. Okay, that's not great. And then I'm going to throw the other one, and that's a 17 to hit. That hits. With 10 damage. The axe goes flying true, and it hits that guy in the white jacket. We'll call him the Acolyte. As it hits the Acolyte, you see like a flash of light around him, and you see the a flash of light around this uh, construct next to him, which we'll just go ahead and call the bishop. Um and it looks like the axe did some damage to the to the uh, the acolyte, but it also looks like the bishop took some of that damage upon itself. Okay. Anything else you want to do, Nari? You want to move or? Um, I think I'm gonna back up a little bit so I'm staying behind that dangerous zone and hopefully trying to draw them towards us that way. Okay. So just just kind of move a bit. Yeah. Perfect. All right, Pine. It's your turn. All right, so Pine, seeing this coming, Pine is going to head over and basically hop on Crumbles. Okay. Yeah, and uh, Apple Bottom is still tied to the back. Oh, shoot. Okay, well, I'm still going to hop on Crumbles, and I'm going to um, draw my sword, and I'm going to say, The Frozen Blade spells disaster. Frigid Retribution Stance. And I'm going to take the the Frigid Retribution Stance, uh, and actually Crumbles seems to take to it as well. And he also enters a Alaton version of that stance, ready to uh, retaliate with uh, uh, cold damage, a uh, cold damage attack if he is hit and he gets a 10 uh, temporary hit points because I'm doing it at second level. Awesome. Yeah, you see, um, you see kind of like a, almost like a lowers, lo- lowers his head a little bit, like pointing his horn more forward, like ready to repost. Yeah, I like to think that there's like a little bit of frost like like starts to form on the uh, on the crystal on his on his face as well. Perfect. All right. And that brings us now to Ebby. All right. Um, I think first things first, I need to move a little bit closer to the group. Um, So I think I'm going to move to kind of this area near where Pine and Nari were standing. Okay, sounds good. Um, Moving up a little bit closer to those ball bearings and up closer to the bishop, yeah. I think seeing, you know, the bishop, Ebby is Ebby is getting more frazzled a little bit by all of this. And he starts to kind of get angry about this. He's like, you usurpers, manipulating my people, you will pay for this. And um, I'm going to, how far away are these guys from me? Like 60 feet. Okay. That's enough. I'm going to cast Dardriel's Eye 
and drop it right on them. Okay. And they have to do a DC 15 deck save. DC 15 deck save. All right. Let's see what we got. <laughs> All right. Uh, for First for the construct, he got a one. So no, he failed. <laughs> and uh, then for the uh, the acolyte, he got a, oh yeah, he, he saved. He got a 21. Okay, nice. If they fail, of course, they'll take the full damage, which I rolled a seven for the damage with this one. Okay. Um, if they saved, then they take half that. So only three damage for the acolyte. Okay, which actually looks like only one damage for the Acolyte and two more for the Construct. Okay, the Bishop somehow is siphoning off some of that damage that the Acolyte is taking. Um, Evie, why don't you go make a quick perception check as well as you're you're looking at the Bishop and and this Acolyte? Sure. Uh, Evie got a 16 on perception. Okay. As you are looking around and, you know, you cast uh, Dardriel's eye and it pops up right there. Um, suddenly the light kind of flashes as Dardriel's eye comes into uh, existence and you see that snaking from the bishop, you see a cable going back up and into the crate. So the bishop is, looks like he's connected to something in the crate. Interesting. Okay. All right. The cable reminds you of way back in your session zero when you first woke up and they had that cable that they tried to pull from the back of your skull, matrix style. Right. And it, and then you ended up coming to life on your own anyway. Um, it looks like that, only a little bit thicker. Okay. Okay. That is good to know. Okay. Anything else that uh, Evie wants to do this turn? No, that's all he can do. Okay. Roos, it is your turn. All right. Roos is going to run to the east as far as he can, so about 30 feet. Okay. Um, from this position, I can see just the edge of the acolyte. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to prepare an action. If if I see an enemy coming towards me that does not go towards the ball bearings, I'm going to throw a grease crystal at their feet. Word. That's it. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Um, That brings us now to the bishop's turn. The bishop is going to step away from Dardriel's eye and move about 30 feet kind of up and down the path a little bit towards where the ball bearings are. And you see there are definitely some similarities to this bishop and Ebby, but you also see a little bit of similarity to the construct that you guys fought weeks ago in the in the ancient facility that that 19 foot tall one um this one though you remember that uh the the other one the 19 foot tall old decrepit one you would you saw that he had some kind of well actually she had some kind of a glowing um circle on her like chest or stomach area that launched out this mana blast right um this one instead as he's standing there he punches both of his fists down into the ground in front of him to kind of like steady himself. And then you see this tube, this kind of a ornate copper and brass tube kind of come up over the shoulder and aim down in your guys's direction. And you hear mana blast. And Ebby, a mana blast is coming right towards you. Oh, geez. Um, this one is a little bit different. Let's see. He is going to try to hit you. Does it? Oh, gosh. 
this guy, his rolls are terrible. Does an 11 hit you? <laughs> it does not. Okay, you see this blast of like white energy go flying off past your head and you can almost feel the the um the tingle in the air as it goes past but it does miss you that's going to bring us now to the acolyte um he's going to step around and follow the bishop um he's going to move about 30 feet up next to the bishop and then he is going to he pulls out a crystal a small crystal and it's like red and you can also you can see that it's like throbbing in his hand like you see like the light like kind of uh, pulsing off this crystal and he hurls it and it lands right between Nari and Ebby and what i need from Nari and Ebby i need you guys to each make a constitution saving throw Ebby you make this with disadvantage Nari rolled a 24 okay uh Ebby rolled an 11 with disadvantage all right. Ebby, you fail. You take 17 damage as this crystal explodes and this huge blast of thunderous energy goes blasting out and it hits you. And because you are technically a construct, it hits you extra hard. Um, Nari, you take eight damage. One last thing. As a bonus action, this acolyte he points at you, Nari, and uh, he turns around and he kind of gives his butt a little swat in your direction, kind of like uh, Marley used to do on Chrono Trigger. And I need you to make a charisma save, <laughs> Nari. Oh, no, uh, six. Okay. You have disadvantage on ability checks, attack rolls, and saving throws until the start of the Acolyte's next turn. Oof. Okay. All right. And Nari, that's your turn. Well, in that case, I think I'm going to just hold my action and kind of move over to the side here um, behind where Roos has his trap set up and just kind of wait to see if they cross that line, I will attack. All right. Pine, it's your turn. You are on the back of Crumbles. So on my turn, I would like to push Applebottom off of the back of crumbles. Okay. And then, so I'm going to uh, start moving out on crumbles back. So, okay. You're going to leave the building kind of that you've been, that crumbles has been hiding. I'll, in. I'll leave the building that crumbles has been hiding in on his back. Um, and I have a 60 foot movement. Oh, okay. So I guess we're, we're waiting. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to go ahead and charge on, on crumbles back. I'm going to charge the big guy. All right. So, I'm gonna, and I will say, um, Crumbles, let's take down the big one. So, Crumbles will get um, a uh, a horn attack as part of this charge. Okay. And then I'm going to... Okay. Let's do it in this order. I'm going to do a bonus action as, as we're riding up there. My, for my bonus action, I'm going to say, The storm blossoms and it's restless, rending sky. And I'm going to uh, do the Rending Sky technique on this big guy. So I'll do some attacks on him with my um, saber. Okay. So first attack, 10 to hit. Nope, that a 20 to hit. hit. Uh, yes, uh, sorry. yes, that does hit. Okay. So 20 to hit. So then I'll rule my damage, which will be the normal. So nine damage plus an additional 2d6, which will have to be five thunder damage. I'm also going to go ahead and do a Swordmaster's Fury. Um, so I will say, 
Um, Unleash with precision, Swordmaster's Fury, and do another additional 2d8 of radiant damage. Okay. So that's another two quick strikes for a total of eight damage. All right. Okay. And now Crumbles gets to make a horn attack. Was that two attacks or was that just one attack? That was the first attack. You're right. I have another attack. Level five. Second attack is 21 to hit. That does hit. All right, that's for 12 damage with the sword. I'm going to do another Swordmaster's Fury, so another two quick swipes. Okay. And that's another six damage on top of that, so that's uh, 18 damage. Okay, awesome. Um, And then Crumbles uh, gets to make a horn attack, so that looks like the impaling charge. Well, the horn attack is a 13 to hit. Nope, that misses. Scrapes off of the armor plating. All right, and that is where we're at. Okay, awesome. All right, that brings us to Ebby. Okay, um, I am going to move forward a little bit. So you're going to move a little bit closer to the to the bishop and the acolyte? Yeah, just a little bit, kind of moving a little bit closer towards them so that we were a little bit better grouped. And I'm going to use, um, I'm going to summon the unicorn right about here in the midst of us, hoping that we all get kind of captured in the 30-foot radius. Perfect. Suddenly, the music starts. The sexy unicorn bursts out of the ground, pink lights flashing in the air somehow, and, (laughs) you know, purple mohawk. Always, I want to be with you and make believe with you. (laughs) Real quick, I, I showed that game to my kids, and they played it for about two minutes and they were like this game's dumb they didn't spend (laughs) days and days and days trying to get the high score that's funny i i used to be pretty good at that game i can't get to the dolphins jumping in the air anymore it's like i can i can't i can't do it anymore it's a challenging (laughs) one um and then for for my action tell me a little bit about the the cart that the that there's like that tether coming out yeah so it's like it's like this big wagon it's a a heavy duty wagon there are four horses that are um that are hitched to this wagon so uh you know obviously this bishop is heavy a heavy load um but there's a crate in the back the crate is quite large it's probably like um seven by seven on 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 any given side seven feet by seven feet so this bishop was probably like curled up into a ball in there and uh, there's cables going from the back of the of the bishop. You can't see exactly where they attach to, but sn- uh, snaking back into the up and into the wagon and into that crate. And at this point, those cables are stretched probably twenty or thirty feet. So here's what I want to do. Ebby, Ebby kind of sneers out and says, "Everyone shall burn for their blasphemies." And I want Dardriel's eye to ram into the horses oh my gosh oh okay so it can hit i think the first two that because they're 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 stacked up two and two so you can hit the first two so they have to make some uh dexterity saves yeah i'm pretty sure they have a plus one to their dexterity so uh what's the difficulty because we have a we have a 15 and a 10 uh it is a 15 okay so one of them saved so what's the damage 12 that's uh that's max these are draft horses. These are not war horses. Let's see how many hit points draft horses have. I think it's only like 11, but I'll check too. 
Uh, I don't think it's great. Uh, no, it's 19. Draft horses have 19, okay. 19 hit points. So yeah, but seriously, okay, so here's the deal. These are not trained for combat type of horses. So um, I'm going to make them make a, uh, a wisdom save, these first two horses. Um, and they actually, they, they stomp at Dardriel's eye and they start to try to back up, but the other two horses are behind them, so they can't move anywhere. And this round, they have not ran off but one of them definitely took a lot of damage and uh in fact the uh the kind of the what are they they called the hitch i guess whatever the apparatus that hitches the horses together um actually on the one that took full damage it actually starts to smolder and and some of the wood parts start to burn cool okay awesome cool and then anything else that abby wants to do no i guess that's 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 a pretty good yeah that's pretty much it roos what are you gonna do roos is gonna run up behind um pine i can't quite get into combat from where i'm at so i'll get just below i'm just south of the construct and the acolyte there's a little ridge i'm gonna throw the grease crystal at the feet of the construct um in between the construct and the the acolyte and he has to make a dex save correct a dex save yes dc 13 Oh, wait a minute. So he rolled a natural 13, which means he got a 12. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, nice. So the bishop, the bishop falls down. Let's see what the uh, what the acolyte does. Uh, Bishop or the acolyte is still standing. He actually looks over at the bishop a little bit worried and he's like, get up, get up. All right. Anything else you're going to do? That will be it for now. So now it's the bishop's turn. So the first thing the bishop's going to do is he's going to stand back up. Um, The bishop is going to stand up using half of his movement. And he is going to step to the right just enough to get out of the grease. And, oh, but first things first, uh, Pine, make a perception check. Since you're right up in his grill. So Pine rolled a 19. Okay, as you're watching, you see, like, um, you can kind of barely see the, this cable coming out from behind him, kind of snaking along the ground. You see these pulses of energy snaking along this, uh, this cable, and then you see some of, the, some of the dents and cuts in this bishop's armor close. And he is going to stand up next to you, Mr. Pine, and take two slam attacks at you. Here we go. Number one is a 10 and number two is a 17 neither one of those hit ah okay all right well then let's see let's see what the acolyte does it is his turn now the acolyte is also going to step out of the grease um a little bit further away from the bishop but he is now um standing pretty close to pine about 10 feet away from um from crumbles and he is going to pull out another one of these throbbing glowing red crystals and he's going to throw it down right between Roos, crumbles and pine and i need each of you to make a constitution save difficulty 12 including crumbles well pine got a seven Roos got a 12 and uh crumbles got a 
All right. Boom! This loud blast of thunder almost knocks you off your feet. Roos, you managed to keep your feet just barely. You end up taking eight damage. Ouch. Pine, you and Crumbles both take 16 damage. Well, there goes the temporary hit points, and I didn't even get to inflict any damage because of it. And he is going to look at Nari. No, he's going to look at... Um, this time, this, this uh, acolyte's going to look at you, Pine, and he's going to... He's going to put his fingers in his ears, blow out his cheeks real big and go like, mm, like, like a, 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 like a nanner nanner boo boo type face. He blew raspberries? He blew a raspberry at you <laughs> and I need you to make a charisma save difficulty 12. I guess charisma is your thing, but. Six, I got to roll a six or higher on the die. A 16. Okay, so you are not taunted. Okay, Nari, your disadvantage has ended. It is now your turn. Okay, well, I am excited to join this fight. So Nari is going to run up. I don't think she can quite get in front of the bishop, so she's going to run up to the acolyte and mm-hmm. swing actually with her um, great sword. Oh, great sword! Okay. Um, so that is a twenty-five to hit. That does hit. What's the damage on that? So eleven with the sword. And then I will strike at him again with a 16 to hit. A 16 does not quite hit. Okay. Uh, let me wait. Let me make, let me just make sure. Nope. A 16 definitely hits. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> then I will hit for 16 damage. All right. As you watch, you're hitting this acolyte. It, 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 it's not quite hitting how you expect it to on him. But as you look over at the bishop, you see the bishop, some of those dents and, and cracks start to reopen on him as he siphons some of the some of the damage away from this acolyte. Awesome. All right. Pine. OK, so the cable, is it running off the back toward the cart or is it running toward the acolyte? No, it's running towards the cart. Okay, it's running toward the cart. Okay, so what Pine is going to do, he's actually going to hop off Crumbles. So Crumbles will, will stay in front of, of the bishop. But Pine is going to go around behind it and attempt to sever the cables with a, with a strike or two. Okay, why don't you make an attack? Okay, my first strike is a 20. That hits. Uh, 14 damage. As you hit, you see um, you see that like you make a, a big a big cut into the cable. It's not all the way through, but it's a it's a, that's a good swing. Well, then I'm gonna do my second attack on it. Okay. Uh, does a 15 hit the cable? A 15 hits the cable, but it glances off. This this cable is like armor plated. It's it's a uh, it's got some got some heft to it. Okay. Well, then Crumbles in front is going to take his horn attack. Uh, does a 16 hit the big guy a 16 does not hit the (sighs) horn again tries to find purchase and it scrapes off the front plate of this armor you can hear like the screech as there's like a a line now drawn across the chest plate of this of this bishop okay that's my turn okay ebby okay um with dardriel's eye i'm gonna try to move it away from the horses now and see if I can bring it around to slam into the back of the of the carriage itself or the wagon itself, kind of into the different crates and box or the crate that's back there. Okay, so you guys you guys get get her right up in that right up in that crate. Okay, yeah. My so my my hope with this is to just wreak havoc on these not war horses and get them to spook and try to run off 
Right. All right. Um, let's see. Well, I mean, I don't. Why don't you? You don't need to roll the hit. It's a it's a freaking crate. He can blast it. So I need to, and he can't make a save. So why don't you just roll some damage and see how much damage you do to this crate? Sure thing. Let's see here. So eight fire damage. Fire damage, and it's now on fire. So you, uh, Dardrill's eye goes and slams into the side of that crate. You see the crate kind of rock to the side and then settle again. It's on fire, so it's going to take continuous like D6 of fire damage every round. But that crate seems very sturdy. So uh, you did some damage. Um, let me make a note of that. But not um, not, not enough to break the, the crate. That's fine. But it's now on fire. So I'm going to make another check for now all four horses as they are now. Um, they're all doing really well. Um, they're now get, there's fire right behind them. So these horses are kind of like starting to, to, to dance in place. But since they're all kind of uh, tied together, they can't really like make their move one of them starts to kind of pull forward and the other ones are kind of backing up and so they're kind of still stuck in this stalemate but they're definitely aware that there's fire um anything else that ebby wants to do cool yeah with um with my actual action now i'm gonna use erdos's word um from back here i'm actually gonna cast it on crumbles for okay 1d4 plus four oh that's so kind um, to heal crumbles with seven and then all of us get healed an additional five due to the unicorn even crumbles right even crumbles all right suddenly crumbles is looking a lot better all right thank you okay Roos, it's your turn Roos is gonna run around the backside of crumbles and square up with nari against the acolyte all right i'll take us a, a strike with my um, my short sword and my offhand. I, I rolled a nat one with my sword. Okay, that misses. I assumed. And then an <laughs> 11 with my dagger. Those both miss. Okay. It seems like he's got something underneath his jacket. You can't, you, the, the second one especially, um, he danced away from that first swing and the second one as you came in, something under his jacket caught the blade and turned it away. Okay. So he's got okay. some kind of armor on underneath that jacket. And that brings us to the bishop. The bishop has two targets. He's got an an Aelaton in front of him, and he's got a swordsman behind him. Who is he going for? He is going for the Aelaton in front of him. All right. Let's see. Two attacks against Crumbles. The first attack is an 11. So let's see the damage for that first blow. That would be... That's only eight damage. Okay. And then the second attack is going to be a 15. That's another hit. And that is going to be 14 damage. All right. And just like that, Crumbles, Crumbles is, at, is on the verge of falling. No, Crumbles, just like that, has poofed out of existence. Really? 19 hit points. Oh, no. Uh no, 29, because you had 10 temporary. Those 10 temporary hit points already went away. Yeah, so Crumbles is going to poof away as, as they... As the, he crumbles away. Well, <laughs> as the strike connects, actually, it, it almost looks like he punches through the air as Crumbles turns into this uh, colored mist um, uh, that matches kind of the, the, the colors of his, of his fur and dissipates. Okay. Crumbles is gone. Mm-hmm. All right. And 
you see the bishop, you see wounds start to close again. Okay, now it is this acolyte's turn. The acolyte, he sees himself now surrounded um, by Rus and Nari and a greasy spot behind him. And he is going to... He's going to use his last third level crystal and he pulls out this crystal. And as you're looking at it, Roos, it's kind of a, you, you, I don't know if you recognize this or not. It's clear. Um, it doesn't have a color and he takes it and he just like crushes it in his hand and instantly he disappears. Oh no. And let's see here. Yeah, he disappears. Um, Nari and Roos, what are you guys' passive perceptions? Roos's is 14. Mine is 18. Okay. So one quick thing, too, to note. The unicorn spirit totem that I've called, it says you and your allies gain advantage on all ability checks made to detect creatures in the spirit's aura. Okay. So um, because this guy turned invisible, we're going to say that um, technically I think you need to use an action to perceive, but we'll say if you guys want to use a bonus action to perceive uh, to figure out where this guy is, you can do that. But for now, he just disappeared. Okay, so we'll say that Nari, you're aware that something is moving uh, past you. um, And I will let Nari, you can take your your uh, your reaction if you want to, but it's definitely going to have disadvantage if you want to swing. Yeah, no, Nari will for sure swing out with her sword um, and see if she can get him. It was a nat 20, um, and then with disadvantage, it was a nat (laughs) 1. Ouch. (laughs) Oh, man, that's crazy. What a swing. Oh, brutal. Yeah, your sword (laughs) whiffs as you you sense this presence moving by, and now you guys have no clue where this guy is unless you guys want to take like a bonus action to actually try to detect. Okay. And that brings us back to Nari. All right. Well, I will. I guess if I can't see the acolyte, I will come up to the deacon and I will hit at him. Oh, yeah. The bishop. Or sorry. Yeah. The bishop with my great sword. And that is a 23 to hit for the first swing. That hits. 13 damage. Okay. And then 10 to hit for the second swing. That is a miss. Okay, and I'm going to use my second wind, and I'm just going to um, go for him again. Oh, your uh, your action surge? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Uh, so 10 to hit, that's not going to hit, and then a nat 20. Nat 20, that's what we're looking for. Okay. Perfect. So that's a 13 for damage, so. All right. 13 Seriously, damage. I think the Nari Nat 20 Storm Fist is an appropriate title. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's great. Oh, Sabrina, get that tattooed somewhere. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Very cool. All right. Pine, it's your turn. Okay. Pine is going to continue to attempt to uh, cut the the cord. Okay. Uh, So this first attack against the cord is going to whiff. And second attack is also going to uh, whiff. Big time with a nine and a 12 to hit, respectively. Yeah, I mean, you're hitting it, but it's your sword is just not getting through the armor plating. Okay, well, with that, I'm getting frustrated, so I'm going to seek some additional aid. So I'm going to yell, call out, Field Marshal, sir, I ask your aid, and throw my sword out, uh, throw Kenneg's S-Stock out, uh, basically right uh, to my right. Um, 
there kind of flanking uh, the the sleeping bishop on one side. Okay. And we'll take an attack. And I rolled a natural one. So that's a seven total. I am rolling sorry. That's what's going on. Yeah, I'm rolling bad too. All of my rolls are sorry. A two and a five. Come on, Pine. Jeez. Oh, Come on. Seriously. <laughs> I can't even cut a cable. <laughs> For some reason, I'm having like images of like cutting the umbilical cord. <laughs> that, I mean, that's what it is. It's an umbilical cord. And, and honestly, in real life, I refuse to do that with my own children because it was gross. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. They never gave me the chance. <laughs> you didn't do it? Oh, really? Oh, see, the doctor just handed me shears and said, here you go. And I'm like, what? As I'm cutting, I'm like, what is going on? He's like, and dad, do you want to do the honors? And I was like, nope, I'll watch. <laughs> oh, no choice for me. They just put the scissors in my hand and I said, nope, no thanks. And I used my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like a real man. Like a real man. <laughs> All right, Ebby, you're up. What are you going to do? All right. Um, I'm going to, I don't know if this counts as like an interaction and not so much a... Um, what I'm hoping is I want to yell at the horses because I know they can understand like the speech of the woods ability mm-hmm. says the beasts can understand my speech. Um, so I don't know if it, what kind of a check it might be, but I'm going to yell at them and be like, run, you fools, before you all die here this day. Here's what we'll do then. We'll, we'll just kind of play this uh, fast and loose. I want you to make an animal handling check. With advantage because the wagon and the crate are on fire, and you need to be a difficulty 13 for these horses to work together and get out of here. I rolled a nat 20, and I also rolled an 18, so <laughs> still a nat 20, but that's 27 with my animal handling. Awesome. Okay, so these horses are going to move on the bishop's turn, but they, um, like the front ones, rear up and then they start just like mad dash, like taking off they're not running like straight back they're kind of running off at an angle but um yeah uh, you've got those horses moving great um that is good to know um and then the other thing i want to do uh i think i'm gonna let my dardriel's eye drop away okay and i need to look up one thing for my creatures here and make sure that I understand. Taking a moment to look at my creature list. That's all right. I just muted myself and let out a big old burp. As you do. Your face is redder than a strawberry. Juicy <laughs> <laughs> strawberry. No, oh, gosh. It's a, it's, a, it's a callback to an older episode. It's a callback to an old episode, which is a callback to an old episode of, of Scrubs, which also did that same joke in two different episodes because it was a callback from a previous episode. <laughs> nice. It's like we incepted the joke from Scrubs. <laughs> That's great. I'm going to let my concentration on Dardrill's eye pass. And then for my actual action, I'm going to step back and kind of set myself in a wide stance and call out phobos demos come to me now and i'm gonna summon the two dire wolves oh fantastic where are you gonna put them uh i'm gonna put them kind of right in front of me right near where the unicorn is um because i know that he disappeared and so the uh, acolyte disappeared Mm -hmm. and so what i'm hoping is that you know these guys have keen hearing and smell so they have advantage on wisdom checks that rely on hearing or smell got it with the unicorn totem, I think that'll also give them. I don't. Is that like super advantage? I don't know. If uh, that no, I think we're, we're still just going to do regular advantage. I, I think okay. advantages don't stack. 
Now, uh, remind me, are dire wolves medium creatures or are they large creatures? Uh, they are considered large beasts. Large beasts. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> these uh, these two uh, dire wolves just kind of uh, appear right in front of you. How many hit points do they have? Uh, they each have 37 hit points. Okay. And what's their AC? Uh, 14. Oh, man. Dang. Awesome. Cool. And that is that's it. That's all I'm going to do. All right. Now, this is for them to search and find the acolyte, not for everybody else, though, right? They have advantage. Well, they already have advantage anyway, but yeah. Yep, exactly. Okay. Perfect. All right. Now, Roos, you're up. Roos is going to reach in his pocket and grab Gigi and throw her up into the air and say, Gigi, one of them vanished. Find him for me. And I am going to turn to the construct and start attacking it while Gigi is looking for the invisible guy. Perfect. The first one is a 13 to hit. That's a miss. I can't manage to roll higher than... Oh, I got an 18 on my dagger. And that one hits. All right. So I (laughs) rolled one for the piercing and nine for the precision. So I got 10 damage total. All right. I'm rolling so bad. One one quick thing, Paul. Sorry to go back to the dire wolves. I think I need to roll their initiative. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. So I'll I'll do that. um, But you can kind of keep going. So Gigi would have gotten the advantage from the eye so her perception she got a 15 looking for the invisible guy um she cannot spot him cannot spot him let's see here okay let me add a turn here to this guy and they have 10 Gigi's flying overhead searching and searching and searching and she cannot seem to find this uh invisible acolyte is that your turn then Roos? yeah that was my turn okay perfect all right it is now the dire wolves turn Okay, um, I think Phobos, the one on the left, is going to go ahead and make its check for perception. Okay. And with advantage, right? Yep. So, a 19 with advantage. All right. And Phobos gets a ping. Just a, a slight disturbance in the air, just slightly north of Phobos, maybe 12 feet straight north there's like this little bit of disturbance in the air where some of the rain as it's falling is kind of misting around a shape that phobos picks up on cool uh is that enough of a hint for phobos to try and go ahead and make an attack that is now the attacks are still with disadvantage that's fine okay she will get she has yeah so just one attack here yeah and it has disadvantage so she rolled a seven to hit. That is a miss. Okay. And then Demos will also roll perception to see if she clues in. Okay. I mean, so we'll say that um, Demos has a pretty good idea uh, just because she watched Phobos go after. Um, uh, so she can move up and make an attack too, but with disadvantage. That's fine. Okay. We'll say that now everybody has a pretty good idea of where this acolyte is, at least right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, she rolled she rolled an 18 for the first roll. Second roll was a 16 to hit. Uh, that's a hit. Okay, cool. She does max damage, 14 damage. Oh my gosh. And then he has to make a DC 13 strength save or get knocked prone. 
All right. Uh, you can hear more than anything. Uh, you can hear the slap of a body hitting the, the wet grass, but you don't see anything. Okay, cool. And that's it for them. All right. And now it is actually the bishop's turn. Um, the horses go taking off, tearing off, just ripping up the, the sod and the wet grass as this wagon is on fire. These horses are running for their lives. And Pine, suddenly you see the cable go taut. You see the bishop start to get tugged backwards, but the bishop kind of sticks his hands in the ground and steadies himself. And then this wire, right where you had cut it that first time, it snaps. Energy goes sparking out, um, kind of like a um, um, like a, a down power line. You see like sparks and, and electricity and power come kind of coursing out of this cable. Whatever was connected in that wagon is now no longer connected to the bishop. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> it's the bishop's turn. The bishop is going, he's got three targets to choose from. So we will see one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, Nari, we've got two swings coming at you. How about a natural 20 and a 13? The 20 will hit. Do I still have the temporary hit points? Uh, there's no temporaries with the aura. It's just extra healing. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, awesome. The bear gives you temporary hit points. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We are going to roll some damage. That will be 22 damage to Nari from this big old <laughs> slappy fist. Big old slappy fist. <laughs> That's right. Big old slappy fist. <laughs> uh, he just doesn't curl his knuckles in really tight. He just leaves them nice and loose. He's a, it's, a, it's a slap. It's like a slap. Whoopsh. All right. Um, and uh, yeah, and then you see some of the some of the wounds on this bishop. Um, uh, they don't heal this turn, like they had been. And then that brings us now to the acolyte. Phobos and Demos are aware of this guy moving. So if they want to take um, disadvantage attacks um, uh, as a reaction, uh, they can. Is invisibility a concentration spell? Oh, you're right. Oh, my goodness. Let's do that concentration check. Um, how much damage? You did 14 damage. He only took part of that. Ugh, that's still not enough. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. No, it's all good. You guys see this acolyte now is laying in the grass, right? His invisibility fades, um, but it is now his turn. He is going to stand up and seeing that there are these two direwolves in front of him, he is going to pull out a crystal and crack it in his hand. Um, and this time right in front of him, uh, at first, he's going to step over kind of by the unicorn, and then he is going to crack this crystal in his hand. And I need Demos and Phobos to both make constitution saves. Difficulty 12. Okie dokie. Phobos rolled an eight. So okay. no. And Demos rolled uh, an 18. So Phobos takes 11 damage and is instantly moved 10 feet away. Demos takes only five damage and is fine. And then this uh, Acolyte is going to uh, continue his move. Uh, he is going to... I don't think his passive perception is good enough. Actually, he's got a good passive perception. Um, hey, um, Roos, we didn't do this for the ball bearings originally, but why don't you make like a sleight of hand check to see how well hidden you can make those ball bearings. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's see. We'll see if his passive perception can beat your sleight of hand. 
Uh, I rolled a nat 20, so that is a 27 on sleight of hand. Okay, he goes moving through these ball bearings, has no clue that they're there. He has to, he's moving at full speed, so he has to make what? A deck save difficulty what? 10? DC 10, yeah. Uh, yeah, he made it. He made it with a 12. He can feel the ground like uneven, um, but then he is going to take off kind of in this southerly direction, um, getting further away from the bishop, but trying to get as hard as he can to get away from those uh, those direwolves. Paul, he used half his movement to get up. Oh, my goodness. He is still stuck in the uh, in the ball bearings. OK, thank you for the reminder. All right. Um, I want to win. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nari, it is your turn. All right, Nari is just going to keep striking out with her great sword. Um, so the first swing is 15 to hit. Uh, that does not hit. And the second one is a nat 20. Oh, oh no, it's, it's a 19, but. But that's still a crit for you. Hell yeah. Um, so that is rolled a 14. Fantastic. So uh, a six and a four, 10. So 24, 24 damage. Fair enough. You guys have done a lot of damage to this, to this, uh, um, to this bishop, but he is still standing. And he is actually looking, I mean, he's looking, you know, uh, like he's getting taken a beating, but he is still standing and fighting. All right. Pine, it's your turn. Unless Nari wanted to do something else. No, I think that's it. Okay, perfect. Pine, what are you going to do? Okay, so first off, Pine is going to have uh, Kenig's S-Talk take its strike with his bonus action first. Okay. So that would be... So first is Kenig's S-Talk, which would be a 9 to hit, which misses. Can you hear the frustration in my side? Yeah, it was was audible. I could. Yes, I could. (laughs) Yeah, it's there. Yeah. All right. I don't want, well, I guess there's, Ebby's down there and he's got some bad wolves. So I'm okay with him handling the, uh, the, um, acolyte. So I'll take two attacks on the, uh, I'll take two attacks on the bishop with my, uh, officer saber. Perfect. First one is an 11. Second one is a 26. That 26 hits. Yes. Uh, for 12 damage plus, I will go ahead and use my last spell slot to do another uh sword master's fury okay so two more little swipes for an additional seven damage okay yeah you're you're uh you're just kind of uh whittling him away he's definitely definitely looking rough it feels like whittling because <laughs> <laughs> i'm not doing much at all well you did you did a ton that first round but then he healed he was healing yeah. 10, 10 hit points around um ebby you're up Okie dokie. Um, I'm going to move. Let me check and make sure the distance is okay. Yeah, I should be able to make it to him. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move up to the bishop and I'm going to use. Actually, I'm going to move up and use my action to cast. Let me pull up my spells. Erdos's touch on Nari. Okay. To heal Nari for. Five healing damage, and then all of us in this space get healed for an additional five. Thanks, Abby. Even the direwolf, right? Oh, the direwolves haven't. Yeah, the direwolves uh, taking yeah. some damage. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, um, yep, that is correct. Okay. Uh, that's my action. Um, bonus action. I'll use 
my innervating strike to I'll do that to charge up my fighting baton so I can get in here and have some wax at this guy. Nice. Okay. All right, Roos, you're up. So real quick, anytime Abby does Erdos's touch, for whatever reason, the song, the touch, the feel of Erdos comes into my head and I can't, I can't ever not think of that. Anyway, the fabric of our lives. <laughs> the magic of our lives. That's yes. what I said. Yes. I, I, that was, that was more clever than what I said. I just well, did the original. You. Thank you. So I'm going to run away. I'm going to look south and see that the Acolyte's all on his own. Okay. Are you are you disengaging or are you going to take the hit? Um, I will disengage. Okay. And then, um, and then I'll strike at the Acolyte with my short sword. Okay, perfect. I rolled a 22 to hit. That hits. And I did eight damage. All right. I also want to look to the west to try and make sure that Kira is okay. Yeah, you glance over there and it looks like Kira and Hebo are doing okay. Um, as you look over, it's kind of interesting. Hebo is very short, like, you know, three and a half feet tall. Um, and he's got a, a long sword that in his hands is like the size of a great sword in Nari's hands, right? Um, but he is just like swinging that thing like a beast. And then you see, you glance over and you see your sister Kira and she's got that crutch and she's got like a long slender blade in one hand and she's doing this kind of almost dance as she fights where she will put her crutch down and she'll actually like lift up and spin around on the crutch as she swipes at, you know, multiple targets at the same time. Very, um, it's like, you know, even though this injury is relatively new, um, she's really taken to, um, to adjusting her fighting style, uh, to using that crutch um, and using it at, to, her, to her advantage, actually. Very cool. Yeah, they, they seem to be doing pretty good. Man, that is my turn. All right, dire wolves. All right. Um, I'm going to have Demos here kind of swoop down just south of the Acolyte and make some attacks. Okay. So we'll roll to hit. A 21 to hit. Um, I think because of pack tactics with Roos here, I think I get to try for a crit. You do. Yes, you do. Uh, it does not crit on the second hit. Okay. It's a oof, not very great. Only five to hit or five for damage. Oh, okay. From Demos. And then Phobos is going to. Wait, let's see. Let's see about this strength check first. Oh, yeah, that's right. DC 13. Okay. And he drops again. Okay. <laughs> Great. Um, and then Phobos is just kind of in a bloodlust and is going to run into the ball bearings and go after him <laughs> after he falls. Um, so okay. do I need to make like a deck save for? Yeah, you will. DC 10. DC 10. Okay. Yep. Let's go ahead and roll that. Uh, an 11. <laughs> so oh, Phobos manages to stay up and is going to go ahead and have an attack. Okay. Uh, with advantage. The first roll is a nat one. Fortunately, oh, gosh. so advantage. The next roll is a 12. So not enough to hit. Not enough to hit. No, just kind of it, it clamps down on his arm, but can't get through whatever kind of armor is underneath that jacket. Perfect. OK. All right. And now brings us back to the bishop's turn. The bishop does not heal any damage this turn. You see like plates are hanging off of joints. You see like uh, one arm is is hanging limp and loose. That that cable is still sparking back there behind you by by pine. 
that you know the split part that's still connected to the bishop um those horses have taken off back into the woods as fast as they can go you see that the wagon has like actually caught more on fire and then you see this bishop kind of looking around and then he he takes one fist and he pounds it into the other hand, you know, kind of like, you know, like, hey, how you warm up your, 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 your glove when you're playing baseball. But he says one punch into his, into his other hand and he says, Mana burn. And I need dexterity saves from Ebby, Nari, and Pine. But it's a low difficulty. Nat 20. Difficulty 12. Ebby got a four. Oh, no. Pine got a 14. Pine got a 14. Okay, here we go. As he pounds his fist into his open palm, you see that white energy that came blasting out of that cannon on his back. Now it comes seeping out of every kind of joint and crevice and crack in his armor until it just, in a flash, just, there's this big, wide um, circle of energy. and. Uh, not too bad. 20 points of damage to anyone who failed and 10 to anyone who passed of mana burst energy as the bishop self-destructs. Oh, man. Um, oh, do I oh, need wow. to? I probably need to do a concentration check, right? Yes, you will. What a what's the DC on that? I guess it's just a constitution save, right? Constitution save, uh, it's going to be a 10. You took 20 damage, right? And yeah. so it's, the constitution save is half the damage or 10. Okay. Oh, I rolled a nine. Phobos and Demos disappear. Oh, no. <laughs> what about the unicorn totem? Does that disappear too? That one sticks around because it's not a spell. It's not a concentration either. Okay. Yeah. Well... The bishop explodes in this bright flash of white light, you know, scarring your retinas and, you know, the after image is burned onto uh, into your vision for a while. And now it is the acolyte's turn. He is prone next to Roos. He is not going to get up. Instead, he is going to reach into his pocket and pull out one more crystal. And he is going to... Toss it just a little ways away from him. And Roos, do you have 18 hit points or less? I have 33 hit points. Oh, never. Okay. You see this like powdery stuff that, I mean, it's a sleep crystal. He, he tosses a sleep crystal towards you um, and you can feel it kind of like getting into your nose, but you manage to kind of uh, fight it off and you do not fall asleep. The acolyte, seeing that it did not work, he <laughs> puts his hands up and he says, I surrender. <laughs> and we're going to exit initiative. Here's what we have. You guys managed to finish off this fight. And as you glance over to the side, you see Brinby and um, Dellen. They they look like they've taken a little bit of a beating, but there are six dead and dying deacons. And as you look over to the other side, you see Kira and Hebo. They are wiping their weapons, the blades of their weapons on these fallen soldiers that they have managed to take out. Everybody has taken some damage. Everyone looks like they are hurt. Um, but Kira and Hebo, as well as Brinby and Dellen, they come back to the settlement and uh, kind of reconnect with you guys. 
It looks like we have another hostage for you to take. The uh, the acolyte's laying on his back, like in the mud, with his hands still kind of up, and he's like, "Um, I'll go peacefully." Roos, see if he has any crystals you can use. Yeah, of course. I think he has a lot of the same ones that I use, so I'll start digging through his pockets. Okay. Yeah, you um, you find some crystals. You find so. I mean, the way that your crystals work is basically it's your spells. So you find yeah. the ability to cast more spells. Yeah, you, you 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 take away his crystals, so he does not have the the power to use crystal spells at this point. The okay. way that, the way that you guys do. Hey, even though we're out of initiative, I'm actually going to take a moment to do Erdas's touch on myself. Okay. To heal myself for ten, and also so that way everybody else in the radius gets the additional five too okay yeah everybody takes it um you see some wounds start to close up like on uh, on hebo's face and Dellen's arm you see like uh, she kind of wipes her hand on her arm and the the blood just kind of wipes away and there's no cut underneath it anymore and they uh Dellen looks at you ebby uh, she kind of bows her head and she says i thank you naturally all right as you are kind of gathering yourselves together, tying up this acolyte, you see um, coming in off the lake, you see a a boat, a river boat coming up. Um, it's gotten um, not that much closer um, because the fight really didn't take that long. But now you guys can make out that it is definitely a river boat. Is there anything you guys want to do before it gets here? Now you're sure you can trust this captain? She uh, she reaches into her pocket and she pulls out some of those coins that you saw her take out of the bag before she tosses it to you. And as you look, she's got like eight platinum coins in her hand. She's like, "He's trustworthy," and she puts the coins back in her in her in her um, in her bag. Pine will collect Ken Existock. Okay. So Pine will look over at Ebby and look down at the uh, exploded sleeping bishop and say. Do you change out your parts? Is there anything here that'd be useful for you, Abby? Well, I suppose it can't hurt to check it out. And I'll I'll go over and kind of look through and sift through to see if there's anything of value or of use. Pine will help him. Yeah, this case, so guys, you guys make an investigation check. Okay, cool. Can I do I do that with advantage? If you want to only have one person make the check. Looks like Pine already rolled. <laughs> I rolled a natural one. For a one. So you just make the check now. You do you you roll regular, Ebby. Yeah. I rolled a 12. Um, as you are kind of sifting through what's left, a lot of it, I mean, it's ash, ash and dust, right? Um, there's a couple of plates of armor, like about the size of, I don't know, like um, like a, a, a deck of cards, basically. But really, I mean, he self-destructed and, and there was not much left. One thing you do notice though, Ebby, as you're kind of sifting through the ash, you see little like almost like glitter little pieces tiny little fragments of shattered crystal and as you're looking you see that there is a little bit of red a little bit of orange yellow green light blue dark blue purple and white all mixed into the rest of this ash it's like there were crystals inside of this bishop representing each of the eight different colors and that's about as much as you can gather from this bishop got it okay as you guys are kind of licking wounds and everything, let's see. Okay, um, Brinby grabs the uh, acolyte, lifts him up off the ground, and starts tying him up, and then starts going through some of his pockets and stuff. And he pulls out this crystal, this like two foot long crystal. And that, now that you look at it, it's got like this metal attachment onto it um, with like 
buttons or or knobs to twist or something. It's it's beyond you guys uh, to try to figure out what this thing is. But Brimby's like, mm, look at this, and he tosses it to Kira, and she says, "Yes, this will. We can hopefully reverse engineer some of this and figure out what this was for." And then they start taking the scientist um, back over, or not the, sorry, they start taking the acolyte over into the building with Chancellor Ramsey waiting for their ship to come. Okay, Pine will go up to Ebby and say, Ebby, was that, was that crystal for controlling the, uh, the sleeping bishop? I don't know. I think it might have been. Huh. You know, when I was at the facility, they had all of us hooked up to the, a large array of large crystals of all the different colors. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's what's keeping them asleep. Is that what's suppressing them? Combined energies of all of the crystals? I'll have to do some thinking on this. Yes, I mean, okay. Are you comfortable with fallen heaven having that crystal technology? Well, I guess the enemy of my enemy is my friend. All right. Well, he's hoping that they don't begin to use your, your kind as tools. Or at least seek a way to do that. Yes, that would be, um, that would be most unfortunate for them, especially. All right, as you guys are talking, this ship gets closer and closer, and you kind of finish your conversation, and you see it's coming right up to the beach, and it actually, it beaches itself. You look at the ship, and it's it's probably about, I don't know, 40, 40 feet long, maybe 15 feet wide. It's bigger than the ship you guys were on before. This is more like a, looks like a like a, a cargo ship, right? Um, you, you see one person on the deck. He's about four feet tall, big, thick beard. He comes uh, stumping on over to the, to the railing, and he's like, are you the ones I'm here to pick up? And Kira says, yes, that's us. And then she tosses him um, the, the coins, and he grabs them, and he says, well, load up. Let's get out of here. And uh, Hebo and Dellen kind of haul Ramsey up onto the ship while Brinby grabs this acolyte and takes him up onto the ship. Kira turns back to the four of you, and she says, last chance. Will you come with us? Maybe meet Richter? Wait, wait. Richter? I mean, sorry. Meet my, meet my leader. Do you know a Richter? Do I know a Richter? I didn't write that name down. You know a Richter. Okay. I'll say, wait, Richter. Tiny, tiny. Have you met, have you met her contact before? He, uh, he turns around as he's, as he's kind of pushing the acolyte up onto the deck and he turns around and he says, uh, no, that's, that's not for me. I, the less I know about the hierarchy of fallen heaven, the better. Uh, Pine will say to Kira, I've already met the man. He's left his impression. Safe journey. She, uh, she salutes you. And Brinby does the classic Menories salute to you, which would be? Uh, oh, man, it is. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> Two bumps on the fist and then the peace sign. 
<laughs> See, I was actually thinking, I, I think he looks at you and he gives you the classic Menorese, uh, Menorese salute, which is um, two wraps on the breastplate and then a hand in the air. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's two wraps on the breast. It's actually three wraps on the breastplate and then raising three fingers to the, and then kissing and raising three fingers to the sky. Okay. Yeah. So he he'll he'll hit he hits the breastplate three times, and then raises and then kisses his fingers and raises three of them up to the sky to represent the three different domains of the lords and ladies that uh, that the Menorees um, uh, honor and uh, revere. All right. Brinby watches from the railing as the ship pulls back. The last thing I need you guys to do tonight: just make a quick perception check. Pine rolled an eleven. Nari rolled a twenty. Roos got a 15. Ebby got a nat 20 for a 24. Fantastic. Everybody but Pine notices this. Uh, Pine, you're you're busy kind of watching Brinby um, as he gives you that salute. Um, and you feel very touched by the honor that it, it, it bestows on you. Um, the rest of you three, you watch as this ship that just beached itself literally backs off of the shore. No oars, no sail, nothing. Something else is propelling this ship besides um, besides manpower or wind power. But you wanted to say something to Kira. She's standing on the back. He says, before you go, um, I'm not opposed to the idea, but I don't think I'm the right person right now. So don't lose touch. Don't lose faith in me. She's like, you, you've restored my faith in you. And I thank you. No matter who your mother and father are, you'll always be my brother. Thanks, sis. I, I named my sword after you because I regretted my decision. And I feel like I'm, I'm on the way to atonement for my wrongdoings. I thank you for that. And the ship pulls away and is out in the lake. The four of you stand on the shore surrounded by dust of a blown up bishop you see to your to your west you see a bunch of fallen dead imperial soldiers to your east you see six mangled um, destroyed deacons and the four of you stand here with no more apple bottom no more crumbles and no clear path ahead and that's where we'll leave you for tonight awesome session guys Thanks for playing. That was uh, not quite as hairy as some of those other fights, but it was a good one. It had potential to be pretty brutal. I mean, I was watching how hard it was hitting. Um, but I also just want you to let you know, Paul, I just added Richter to my my notes. And you know what, I, you know what the note I put for him is? Dumbass. <laughs> I added Richter. P.O.S. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, awesome. Well, maybe next session, if you guys get a chance to talk, you guys can talk about what you know about Richter. So did we level up? <laughs> here's, here's what I'll say. I think that this ends chapter two of the Crystal Codex, and we're going to call chapter two of the Crystal Codex Pernicious Cargo. <laughs> yes. I love it. Awesome. All right, you guys. Well, until next time, thanks for listening. Go write a review on one of the podcasting apps. Uh, it helps us to get seen. It helps uh, more people find us. Uh, it just helps us out. Uh, we're grateful that you guys are listening. You guys like what we're doing. Yeah, go get yourself a Papa Murphy's pizza. Yeah, go get yourself a Treat Papa yourself. Murphy's. You deserve it. <laughs> Treat yourself. Uh, <laughs> until then, until next time, have a great time. <laughs>